Hey everybody, welcome back to the Combat Athlete Science Podcast. Notice I got that right on the very first try. First try. Uh, Trent Nessler here. I'm filling in for Ray. And uh, we have a very special guest, Ryan. Don't even know if I can really say your last name because... You know, we'll keep it at that. Yeah, we'll keep it at that. So, uh, Ryan, it, it, if you remember from our last podcast, we were talking about uh, combative training. We were talking about jujitsu training uh, in law enforcement. Really kind of went a lot of different directions with that. We talked about fitness. We talked about uh, perception from the community. We talked about uh, administration, et cetera. And I was just sharing with Ryan, you know, I just got off of the department, you know, just about overall fitness. And you gave us some amazing statistics last time, quite honestly, that I have put into my presentations now uh, for law enforcement and about the percentage that passed after they got to the second flight of stairs. Mm. Like, you know, that that kind of stuff to me, you know, there's there's training, there's physical training, there's mental training, all that good stuff. You know, I think that, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, some big picture uh, ideas, but, you know, for, I think the general population, you know, they don't really understand what you all go through. Number one, right. Um, what those kind of situations are like, um, you know, and then you've got this whole, you know, political movement, this whole uh, social movement uh, towards police officers and those in law enforcement and you know the interactions i would assume are very different today than they were maybe even 10 years ago absolutely and everything's recorded yes like everybody's got a video camera with them and so so you're there's extra pressure with that i mean you know so you know last time we were talking about administration you know i'd really like to dive into that a little bit deeper you know from your perspective and what you see like what is the you know what are the major hurdles that a department deals with when looking at these kinds of things? And, you know, and, and do you foresee, you know, from your perspective internally, do you see, do you foresee a way around some of those hurdles and, you know, what's that look like today? So when you talk about law enforcement and, you know, we, we spoke in depth a lot about dealing and navigating law enforcement administration and public mm -hmm. perception than the, the last time we recorded. Um, when it comes to the individual, there's responsibility that an administration or an agency or a department has to take for its people. There's a responsibility that the leadership at a line level has to take as well. But then there's the responsibility of the individual. 100%. Each, each individual officer. Yeah. So this is a topic that I have, I've dove into deeply, especially when I, when I took instructor roles or I started training full time, uh, especially at the entry level, uh, the academy level of people just coming into the job who don't have the experience or who don't have that mentality of I've been doing this for a while, uh, I already have kind of experienced or I know everything. When you take someone at the base level, what does that look like? We we talked about the the issue of lowering standards oh in law gosh. enforcement yeah. on the, the last even, time we recorded. You know, yeah, so it, just to, to go off that for one second, um, the department I just spoke to, um, 
the recruit recruit class is a recruit class of 100. So it's a pretty big department. Mm -hmm. Um, a recruit class of 100, they're graduating 65. Yep. That's a horrible pass rate. That's, I mean, I've, I've heard of worse to be honest. I mean, that's that's not in the passing criteria. I just found out the passing criteria is 75%. Mm -hmm. So you got to have a mid C to basically pass. That's amazing to me. And I'd be interested to see what qualifies for, you know, how many times they could retest or before they have to recycle or the others. See, I don't even know that. There's, there's, I should there's ask gray that. Areas I should ask there that. as well. Yeah. So depending on what, what standard or policy or procedure, you know, maybe they could retest the next day and pass. Yeah. Um, but well, I'd be interested and, to see that. Well, and the other, the other thing that we're working with uh, is on the physical side. Um, because the physical side is kicking out just as many as the, the book side yeah, and, and their ability to pass that, you know, they've, they've, so, uh, this particular department, they lowered their standards in 1998 and they're now just like really reevaluating like, holy cow, we like, we got to do something about this. And so, um, the interesting thing is, is that they're discussing reducing the, uh, pass rate, uh, to 65 for physical <laughs> some of some have already done that oh my god or completely gone through and redone what is yeah. their standard yeah you know I'm, I'm talking things like where it used to be 40 push-ups it's like 10 push-ups like wow just to get you know i use this term warm body yep in the door just get someone you could prop up somewhere yep. and that's you know again some of the things i say <laughs> if if you if you're not familiar or you're not really super in tune with what goes on in the first responder community or law enforcement, I mean, we're at critical levels of personnel shortages people, and it's, it's everywhere. And it's, it's really, really bad. That. It, you know, I, I, I think I told you I was, uh, one of the departments that we deal with, um, they are down over 550 officers. Mm-hmm. This particular department has stopped investigating rape crime mm-hmm. because they don't have enough officers. Their homicide detectives are on the beat two days per week. Mm-hmm. Let you know, so they only have three days where they can investigate homicide. That is just a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. I, I mean, mean, I'm not law enforcement, but so you know, we kind of talked about that last time, and you know. It's kind of one of those things that I said people would be shocked to hear, but I'm, I'm going to repeat it because it's worth repeating because yeah. it's important. I mean, law enforcement has skewed away from law enforcement, public service and keeping the peace and has shifted its focus on public image and lawsuit yeah. mitigation. Yeah. And that's that's just the sad reality of it. And, and when we talk about, you know, why isn't the job attracting people or why isn't the job keeping people or, or what's happening? We talked about the the injury side of it last yeah, time. We yeah. talked about the um, training aspect of it, uh, dealing with toxic administration and yep. leadership, things yep. like that. But when it comes to the individual, um, we're, we're hiring, and there's no safe or, or polite way to put it, we're hiring lower quality individuals. Sure, sure. And I don't mean we're hiring bad people. I just... We're hiring people who need more time, attention, training, and care to become what you want to be in that role. Right. And you can't hold that that role at 
at the height that it needs to be. If you're keeping yourself at the bottom and only training minimum standards to get somebody quickly yeah. trained in, and warming up a car seat, and that's not something that's talked about near as much as it needs to be. We are churning out people to fill roles that are really, really intricate, detailed, right. and important, right. and expecting them to succeed flawlessly right. on camera at all times when we're setting them up for failure. 100%. And only all it takes is one of their failures to go viral. Right. And then you have another issue of, okay, this cop did this one thing. Here's what we, the untrained public, think needs to happen. Yep. And the next thing you know, an attorney has it in policy so that a sheriff or chief of police can say, we've solved this problem. Yeah. And they're not going to solve the problem with training. They're going to solve it by saying, hey, we can't do chokeholds anymore. Yep. Or, hey, we, we're not doing this anymore. Yep. Or, hey, we're going to have two officers in every house. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. They're, they're going to find the most quick, efficient way they can blast out to social media or the public yep. that they're solving the issue with the least amount of effort possible. But so, it doesn't actually solve the issue. So let me ask you, you know, because, you know, there's the video that just came out of Chicago. I don't know if you saw that. Two guys walking down an alleyway. Some guy wasn't paying attention. Dude walks up behind him and punches him in the head. The two guys jump on him and maul him. Basically beat the entire crap out of him. Broad daylight, middle of the day. Mm. And, you know, there's there's nobody around because they don't have enough officers. You know, in Philly, I don't know if you saw the Philly video where the guy walked up to the homeless guy and shot him in the head in front of like a whole restaurant of people. Mm. Like that is... People don't understand. That's the level it's getting to. And I think, you know, um, I think the time is ripe to turn the corner in a positive way. Um, do you feel like that? Are you sensing that on the inside that people are like, holy shit, like what the heck is going on here? Like we really need to turn this around because again, the less you invest into those people, the worse that problem is going to become. Mm-hmm. Because, and again, I'm not in law enforcement, but I would imagine that a lot of those people who are undertrained, undereducated, underfit, when a situation goes south, they're e either more likely to respond badly or take off. You're exactly right. So, yeah, so I'll, I'll get on a soapbox on this topic. Please uh, do. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, one of my, it's one of my favorites. And, you know, it's, it's something that, that I personally looked into a lot and something that I took very seriously when I took that, that full-time trainer role is okay. If, if I'm going to get a new recruit and I'm going to give them information and training and a guideline basically of what they should be in their career, what does that look like? What does that look like to me as someone with experience in, sure. in, in many different aspects of it? And, uh, you know, different life experience, different background. What does that look like for me? And what I think that should look like is different than what other people sure. are going to think it looks like. It's, it's going to be different, different than from what, me. It's going to be different than, than yeah. you, you know, someone who they're serving. It's going to look different. My perspective is going to look different than what a sheriff or chief of police is going to look like. Sure. Different roles and responsibilities are going to look at it differently. But the the way I had to look at it is, the goal of this job is public service. 
period. It's not debatable. We can we can talk about all day of of the training and the skills and everything that would be necessary for them to be a good officer. But it so boils down pause, to pause there for one second. So you said public service, public service versus public safety. So, 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 I, so, so I'm going to ask you to define public service mm-hmm. and define public safety. Cause I think both having an understanding of both of those is important. Absolutely. So when I say public service, what I mean is what the general public perceives of law enforcement is they see things like viral videos of violence, whether it be justified or not. Sure. They see the ticket that they have to go to court for because they were caught speeding. They see the marked cars. They see the, the police chases. They see all the exciting stuff, which is an extremely small percentage of what law enforcement is. Sure. Now, keeping the peace, public safety, um, being a presence, meaning being seen in places that, that you're serving. Sure. That's, that's the public safety aspect of it. Being prepared, equipped, and trained enough to handle whatever may come your way, that is public safety. The role, the job itself is public service. You are there to protect and serve. So law enforcement, the ticket writing, the mm-hmm. arrests, that all falls under that umbrella. But when I say public service is a great deal of this job is a conversation with someone like I'm having with you yeah, right now, for sure. except you called me and you're having one of the worst days of your life. Sure. So whatever that may look like, whether you are a domestic violence victim mm-hmm. or whether you just had your life savings stolen in some type of scam, sure. whether you just lost a child or a family member, whatever that looks like, sure. my job is to help you in any way that I can. You called me for service. Yep. You didn't call me to be some robot who shows up to your house, has no empathy, gets only the bare information that I need, gives you a case number, goes and writes my report, and you never see me again. That's not public service. That's someone that's doing a job. Sure. And you don't need someone in this role that is showing up for a paycheck or doing a job. It's way, way too heavy of a thing to have someone in that role who's not going to treat a person like a person. Sure. And I'm not saying all cops are like that. I, I think some of the things that, that I say throughout this series we're doing um, may be taken in a way that's not liked by current law enforcement. And sure. what I would challenge those people to ask themselves is, is, is who are you? Who are you as a person? Sure. Whatever you put that uniform on in the morning, who are you? Uh, where are you in your career? Sure. And why are you doing your job? Those are questions you should be asking yourself very often. And your answer may change throughout the years. But if you get to the point where you can't answer any of those questions, you need to leave. Yeah. Um, and that's something as an individual, if we talk about a huge problem in law enforcement with the individual, it's that there is a point where if you are in a direct line level public service position, like a patrol officer or a you know, patrol deputy, when you get to the point where you're burned out and you're complacent, you don't need to be doing that job. Sure. You don't need you to can, be doing it. Right. And you either need to address it, find why you're being that way, correct it, and then continue to do the job when you're not like that, or you need to go to a role where you're not in the direct responsibility for sure. the safety and protection of the community. 
because you are not fulfilling that responsibility to the best of your ability. And it's it's important thing to to address because what happens is if you become or you get to the point where you're burnt out mm-hmm. or you're complacent, if you look at statistics, they change often. But the officers that are getting killed in the line of duty and things like gunfights, things sure. like that, or even motor vehicle accidents, you would think it's the guys that are just getting out of the academy. It's the guys that have been doing the job between 8 and 12 years. About year 6 to 8, you get to that point where you're like, okay, I've, I've kind of seen it all, I've done it all. You probably made it to a position where maybe you're at a, a basic line-level supervision. Sure or you're at least like a field training officer, you've probably experienced a lot. You're probably pretty comfortable. Um, that is complacency. Sure. It creeps in on the best of you. And I mean, if you get to the point where you realize it, or you realize it in someone else, and have a conversation, have a conversation, because you're not only responsible, responsible for you and the people you work with, but you took an oath for the people in your jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. You took an oath, an actual real oath. And you have to remember that and you have to take it seriously because they are relying on you. And if they call you, you need to be prepared yeah. in every aspect. And and we could talk about those individual aspects and I'd, I'd love to dive into those because um, it's, it's pretty... If I can pause for one second. So you said two things. And one was that there may be some members who are offended by what we're doing. I just want to make abundantly clear, and especially as someone who's not in law enforcement, this whole conversation is around helping our law enforcement officers in a positive way. Um, I just want to make sure that no matter what comes out of this, I want everybody to understand what that intent is, is to bring that perspective um, and to help the profession move forward as a whole. Because I joined uh, the company I work with at the height of Black Labs That Matter. I left a very large corporation job to go to a startup because I felt I needed to do something for our first responders. And the majority of that honestly is, is both our firefighters and our police officers, but seeing what's going on with our law enforcement drove me to do that. So I want everybody to understand when they hear this, that's where this comes from. You know, it does not come from a way of criticizing or, or, or things like that. It is solely intended to uh, help the uh, profession move forward. And, the second thing is, is that I am so glad you're here because I think in a positive way, I think if more people really realize like that's what's in your heart mm-hmm. and that's what you firmly believe that law enforcement should do, that is such a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause you're talking about, you know, um, if someone gets burned out, Everybody gets burned out, right? If you're in a factory and you get burned out, you know that when you do your factory job, you're not as attentive to shit that's going on Mm -hmm. and injuries increase. You know, if you're a teacher and you get burned out on your job, well, guess what? Your students aren't learning as well. Exactly right. In law enforcement, it's so much more important because you're dealing with all the shit that nobody else wants to deal with. That's why they call you. 
And so, you know, I think that, you know, some may take offense, like you said, some may take offense to what you said, but the reality is, is that everybody gets burned out. Exactly right. No matter, physicians get burned out. Mm -hmm. Orthopedic surgeons get burned out. PTs get burned out. You know, everybody gets burned out, but we're also not walking in when there's gunfire. We're also not walking in when there's a car wreck. We're also not walking in when you have to tell somebody the most devastating news that somebody has got to tell somebody, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you all have to do that. So, you know, I just, I, I wanted to stop there just to pause there to just bring that reflection because I think that that's, you know, I think if more people heard from you, I mm-hmm. think, I think those are the kinds of things that the public needs to hear. Well, and, and not just the public. I mean, you know, I, I would talk just like this, my my training style as an instructor was more like this. Like, you know, yeah. I would have a curriculum that I would go by, but we would have conversations and we would have hard conversations because yeah. there are instances like in service where you may have a room that has 30 students and they're from every division of a sheriff's office. And it's from everybody from a guy that's been there a year to upper level administration who's been there 30 years. Mm-hmm. So, if you don't have, if you're an agency where you don't have regular meetings, this is one of those only opportunities where you may even ever see each other. Sure. Or sure. this may be the only opportunity we have to have a real <clears throat> conversation. And this may be the only opportunity you have to talk to that recruit about right. what you've seen in 30 years or what you do every day. So I'm going to, we're going to have a conversation. Yeah. You know, what people is it you are, like and don't like? That. And it makes people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, law enforcement, one of the things I always, tell recruits and I say it repeatedly I say it to anybody you know you get a uniform and 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 Ray talks about this uh, a lot but you get a uniform are you wearing something that says you're special you know some people even have the word special on them or you have a lot of things that decorate your chest and it makes you feel some type of way um but at the end of the day you are a human that took an oath to help other humans. And if you ever lose sight of that mm-hmm. in law enforcement, you need to find a different job. Yeah. You are a human serving humans. Yeah. And and what that means is you have to be sacrificial. And I'm not talking about just the, you know, it's, it's, I say cliche, it, there is truth to it, but not like the, I'll give my life for someone else type deal mm-hmm. that has to be there because that's the reality of the job. But, you have to recognize that you are human and in being human, you have weaknesses and you have deficiencies and you have problems like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And you do yourself, your family and the general public, no favors by acting like you are this special, larger than life person. Sure, Sure. You are a human. So what that means is moving into this whole realm of the individual officer is if you have things you're deficient in, you have to address them. Mm-hmm. That is your physical health. That is your physical fitness. That's the one nobody wants to talk about and people are scared to talk about. That's your mental health. 100%. Uh, you can't take a job for helping others and be pouring from an empty cup. Right. You have to address your mental yep. health. Um, so I, I want to come back to that for. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We, we can, we can talk about that all day. Yeah. Um, the 
the thing I'd say that is most important at that level, man, is some type of emotional intelligence, right? You know, yes, when, when it comes to, to this hiring issue we're having, you know, a lot of, uh, one thing a lot of agencies did is they lowered the age that they will hire people. Mm-hmm. You're getting a lot of 18 and 19 year olds. Um, you can even have an offense now in some. So when you talk about an 18 and 19 year old, the three men here could all say at 18 and 19, you know, <laughs> we probably weren't well equipped emotionally, no, no. mentally, or experience life experience or, or, or life experience wise for a role of that caliber. Yeah. That's just the reality of it. But yeah. again, they're eager, right? Yeah. They see that lifestyle of the fast cars, the guns and the, the badge and, and yeah. that they want to join. And most of them are still young enough to be physically fit to some level that they can pass an academy. Yeah. But then, okay, you have a, a fit young person, but they, I mean, they have no life experience. Right or right. their life experience is not relevant to most of the things they'll be dealing with. I or, have a 19 year old in college, dude. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so That's, it's a double edged yeah, sword, right? Sure, it seems like you, sure. could, you could get a crowd of, okay, this guy's physically fit, or yeah. maybe he was a good athlete. Maybe he was a, a stud, yep. you know, a football player or something yep. and athletically beautiful, yep. but that's also not necessarily right. the person who could serve in a role where you have to have emotionally, like emotionally intelligent people. Yep. And, in that so, role. So let me ask you, you know, and it's interesting. So, you know, um, you know, obviously I've been in sports medicine a long time. And one of the things I figured out um, probably about 12, 15 years ago uh, was that in order for me to find the level of clinician that I wanted, um, I actually did. A, a, it, it was a uh, it's an actual survey test uh, for EQ, emotional quotient. So what I found is that physical therapists who are maybe don't possess the skill, but if they possess the EQ, then I could train them to do whatever I needed them to do. Mm -hmm. I could provide them all of the training because people with high EQ are more open to that. They approach it differently. And most importantly, it is the one thing you can't train somebody and that is their personality. Absolutely. You can't change a personality. So if somebody walks in with a a really low EQ, like everything is going to be offensive to them. Everything's going to be dramatic to them. Everything's going to be escalated with them. That's not going to train out. Exactly right. And that's, it's funny you say that because, you know, we're talking about all these, these standards and, and things about the hiring process and what it looks like to get a, to get a cop trained up and that level. And if I'm looking at a group of people that come through an academy, man, I, I'm not even one that, you know, we have people that look at the paperwork and their backgrounds. We have them answer questions and things like that, um, about their experience levels and where they came from, things like that. Mm -hmm. You want to get to know them, but when you run somebody through an academy and you put them through that stressful situation and that, that high stress environment, and you know, you're, you're in their face and you're yelling at them and you're dogging them or whatever, and you're kind of seeing what they're made of and, or what they're not made of. I'll take the least qualified person on paper with a chest full of heart mm-hmm. and someone who is willing and eager to learn and wants to do that job yeah. to the best of their abilities and it means something to them. I will take that one person over the other two 100%. in that class. I don't care if that resume is gold plated, 
with yeah. everything you've ever done yep. and you've set yourself yep. up for, for a bright future in law enforcement, if you are an asshole from the gate yep. or you have nothing but ego, <laughs> I mean, you're right. I mean, you can't train a lot yeah. of that out. You just can't. And one of the things I'll ask, like I will, I'll watch them for a few weeks and you'll, you'll see the guy, you know, maybe he's not physically fit or maybe, you know, he, he come from a manual labor job and this is something that he's always wanted to do. And he finally brought himself to do it. Or, or, you know, maybe he doesn't come from a good home life yeah. or background and, you know, maybe his, his family doesn't like law enforcement. Maybe he grew up in an environment that is anti-law enforcement sure. and he's going against the grain, you know, somebody who does this job for that reason, you can tell in the way they train, you can, you can tell when they take it seriously. And I'll start asking them, you know, I'll start asking them questions and I'll tell you, and I think Ray will be able to, to pick up on this as well. I can pick a wrestler out of a crowd. If he wrestled in school, Mm -hmm. I can pick that, that kid that's coming through the academy. I can pick him out among the football players. Yep. Or I can pick him out among the people who wrestlers are different. They are different. <laughs> they it's, are different. There's it's an, it's an individual. Are, yeah. It's an individual, right? You don't you don't have that team. You have, you have a team, but you don't yeah. have that team yeah. to rely. It's it's a you can pick them out. Well, and, it's individual, and in in my opinion, it's probably one of the it's harder than football. Yes, I'm just gonna say it. It's it harder is. than football. It is, uh, but. It's kind of funny you can you could pick up on that or, yeah. or you see a kid who you know is just and they're giving it his all yeah, or it, whether it's PT or, yeah. or defensive tactics or the gun range they're just they're all out I mean until until their heart stops yeah. they're gonna get in there. and the majority of those kids are wrestlers yeah which is a fun, oh, that's a yeah. funny thing I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about at one point but well and I tell you you know it's it's interesting because as I hear you talk. Um, so much of what you talk about is very similar to what I look for in a physical therapist, quite honestly. So, you know, in keeping in mind, I mean, this is a, uh, the profession is a very empathetic profession, mm-hmm. you know? So one of the things that I'm always interviewing for is that EQ component, but also one of the other things I go into is what is your work ethic? I don't ask them what their work ethic, work ethic was, but I ask them, did you play any sports? Mm. You know, what I can tell you is if I recruit someone who is a division one athlete and they have a high EQ, I am 100% winning. Yes. Because they were able to uh, maintain a scholarship. They were able to uh, uh, maintain that scholarship while getting a college degree. And depending on, uh, depending on their sport, I mean, if that's a wrestler on top of that, bam, I'm winning, mm-hmm. winning all day long. So we talk about, like you said, being empathetic, like an empathetic job uh, with what you do. Um, that is something that is often, often overlooked in law enforcement. And when you talk about the main two types of people that this job attracts, um, just going to put it bluntly. One of them is empathetic people, the mm-hmm. people who actually want to protect and serve. You're going sure. to get those people in there. I'm not saying they're few and far between. What I'm saying is you get a lot of those people, but they end up lacking a lot of maybe physical prowess or skills, or they just don't have fight in them. Sure. It's difficult to find an empathetic person, a truly empathetic person who also has the capacity for violence. Yeah. Um, 
So a lot of them see the I want to protect and serve and I'm going to be in law enforcement. But you'd honestly be better suited in something like firefighting or EMS. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to be in law enforcement, you have to realize that while it may not happen every day, every day there is a chance for great violence. For sure. And, you know, I'm going to say this a lot. It's one of my favorite phrases. A defensive tactics instructor said at one time, and it's something that stuck with me. Um, law enforcement in particular, you don't get to choose your fight. You just get to be in it. Mm. You're not the initiator. You're not the one setting the rules. There are no rules. It could be completely random. Yep. It could involve guns, knives, bats, a chair, a car. You don't know what it's going to be. And that always has to be in the back of your mind as something sure. that you're going to have to address and deal with, with equal or greater violence, um, empathetic person or not. So while we want the job to attract empathetic people, we want to attract empathetic people who also recognize that that is something that they they're are going aware. to have to do. And there just aren't many people who fit both of those sure, guidelines. Sure, now on the opposite sure. end of the spectrum. Yeah. Another thing this job attracts is people who um, focus a little too heavily on that side of it, the excitement, mm -hmm. the violence, the maybe they were a stud athlete, sure. maybe the physicality of it, or maybe they're just an asshole. Maybe they, yeah. they, they are egotistical. Maybe they want that, that power or perceived power. So you get a lot of those guys, they're physical studs, they train well, and they, they probably have guns and shoot on their own. They probably score very high on all the physical things sure, in an sure. academy, but emotionally, socially, those are the guys that pull you over and you're like, that guy was an asshole. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I don't, right. most of the time. And the, the thing about it is both of these people we're talking about, whether they're too empathetic or they're too much of an asshole, both of them have it in them to pass an academy and be put in a seat. Yeah. So the scary part of that is how do you take those two people? Is there something that you could use to get those two people, the two that I would say you attract the most, empathetic or egotistical? Is there something that you could give them, a tool you could give them to make the empathetic person more comfortable or more skilled at violence and take the egotistical person and bring them down a notch? And one of those things is jujitsu. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. One of yeah. those things is defensive tactics and combatives yeah. because it humbles you. The empathetic person is going to need to know, okay, there is a way I can do this. I can get good at this. I can do this comfortably. I can train this and feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. I can get used to this type of control and violence. I can learn this. And the egotistical person is going to look at this <laughs> and say, oh, I got this. And they're going to get smoked yeah. and they're going to say, okay. I got to get better at this You're right? because either I want to win, right. that ego is going to fuel right. them, sure. or they're going to get that ego busted really quick. Yep. And they're going to say, okay, I, I'm not as tough as I thought. Right. And they may Seen learn a little empathy. <laughs> they, they, may, they may see right. people a little different. They may look at people a little differently. Sure. That chest may not be as artificially inflated as sure. I like to say. For sure. um, so just linking that back to kind of that, that topic we've been talking about, jujitsu is, is one of those things that could be a tool for both of those people. And we see it. Yeah. I, I, one of the first things I'll ask before we go in any type of scenario or defensive tactics based week is how many of you have been punched in the face? First off, an alarming amount of them haven't ever. 
<laughs> been in any type of physical altercation. Sure, sure. Well, you think about it. The schools have zero tolerance now, right? It's not like even when I was in school, if you got in a fight, you got in a fight. Right. But now if, I mean, if you, you look at a kid too hard, they're, they're booting your ass out of school. Yeah. So that is very quickly being phased out as a, as a potential for anything right. nowadays. Right. Like that's, it's very taboo. So that generation is sitting in cars with guns now. And I don't think people realize that as well. Like yeah. you're, you're tasking people who have been taught for a long time that violence is not the answer. And you're putting them in a role where violence is sometimes the answer. Right. Sure. For sure. And you can't expect them to undo their entire school career of being told that violence is bad their whole after li- their whole after a 12 week academy for sure so finding someone that has fight and that's a battle yeah that's that's a sure. constant battle yeah and, and i think jujitsu is such a great way of doing that you know um and ray and i have talked about this on previous podcasts and how much it's truly changed my life you know um you know, in, in so many positive ways, so many things that it's taught me about life, so many things that it's taught me about business, so many things that it's taught me about pursuit and, you know, persevering and about, you know, truly meeting a goal, you know, um, you know, uh, both of us have gone through recent promotions. And when you go mm-hmm. through those promotions, like, wow, like how long I've been in this and how much I've learned and how much I've taken away from that. You know, so, and I know we're getting short on time. So what I would love to do is, is, you know, as we bring Ray back into this conversation is really, really expand upon that and really kind of look at, you know, one, uh, I do want to go back to the question I had initially. And that is, do you see the barriers of today of getting jujitsu training in law enforcement um, ones that can be overcome is the environment right for that. Um, and then, you know, um, what you would say to law enforcement officers who are considering training, mm-hmm. you know, what should they do? What should they be looking out for? So, so I think there's a lot of great discussions. Um, I know we're short on time, so we'll cut it off there guys. Thank you so very much for listening. I hope uh, people are walking through this uh, like you are, you and I are. I mean, it's. I hope they're taking away some good information. It's a great perspective. I really appreciate you on, being on, Ryan. Yeah, no and problem. Uh, we'll come right back, guys. Thank you very much.